All right, who's in? Who's going, man? I'm going. I'm going. My wife is going. Levi's going. Grace is going. We're all going to deep camp. Now you're like, where does this deep camp thing come from, Pastor Kerry? You just jump up and it's out of the blue? Friends, I've known this ministry for over 35 years, and the leader of this ministry has been uh, probably one of the most impactful people in my personal life, and uh, he's built a ministry uh, of just igniting hearts on fire and lives on purpose. And uh, Zach mentioned we sent Zach not only to deep camp, but an extended two-month kind of experience, they called it, uh, with uh, this ministry called Forge, and it was transformational in our son's life. And uh, I have the privilege to be um, on the board for this ministry, and I just spent two days in Denver, so that's why I'm sort of fired up. And we had a meeting, we were talking about the experiences, how experiences and events many times are catalytic, just like youth camp up in Idlewild last week, and Zach mentioned there were several spiritual um, commitments. Friends, you are stuck in a routine, and you need to get out of it. Some of you say, yeah, that's my life. I got to get up morning, go to work, pay the bills. Next day, next, here's the weekend. Try to cram a few things in. Hope to get to church. Sing some more of those country songs like we did today. That was great, wasn't it? Maybe you're stuck in a rut spiritually as well. No one's going to make you do anything. You and I, we make decisions to make changes with our lives and Camp experiences and other kinds of events have been transformational in my life and maybe in yours. And I know something like this decamp. We put a, a link on an email I sent out this week. It's on our Facebook, and it was up here. Is that um, this camp um, has an expense to it and travel expense as well, right? But we spend money on an awful lot of things that don't make much difference long-term in our life. And so this is my strong pitch to you today, in part because if you sign up this week, you get 10% off, but then it goes away, I think. But we're going as a family. We would put it on our schedule. I'm a part of this ministry, and I just decided this week as I was sitting around a table and listening to other transformed lives, and we had testimonies of others that came in with some evening sessions. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to bring it to the awakening body. Would you consider doing it? And uh, if not, that's totally cool. What else could God call you to uh, that could jolt you in some new and fresh directions to go deeper in your faith with Jesus? And if you're just checking out the Jesus thing today or church, haven't been in church for a while, um, get around people who have a heart that's on fire, and they're living their lives on purpose for the kingdom of God. And um, you'll catch some of that fire, and you too maybe can come to that place of seeing your life transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we good with that? Did I get that positioned well enough? Consider doing it. Rocky Mountains, they're beautiful. I've not particularly been to this camp before. We're looking forward to doing it. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit across this room this morning, we are so grateful that you draw near to us to draw us near to you. And Lord, whether it's through past experiences of a camp or a church experience or just a one-on-one -on -one discipleship with someone, Jesus, we are so grateful that your spirit is always pressing towards us to pull us towards you, 
And Lord, as we look into your word here this morning, I pray that that same activity of your Holy Spirit would be powerful and active as we've brought our worship to you and acknowledge the beauty of the power of the resurrection and that you can change a life. Lord, may you continue to change our lives here this morning, wherever we're at on the spiritual journey. Amen? Amen. Well, we have been uh, in a beautiful kickoff to a new series, and that new series has been entitled Unshakable, Hope in Uncertain Times. And it's a study through uh, Peter's letter to Christians who were in exile. Uh, We continue to be burdened again this week by the refugee situation in Ukraine and the war that's going on there, and our prayers continue to abide this morning for all that's transpiring there, that God will work in the midst of it, and that He would keep people protected, and that He would bring change and bring about peace. But Peter, too, was talking to people who were in exile, who had left because of the persecution of the Christians. And so he pins this letter in 1 Peter to Christians, and he says, hey, heads up, man, I just want to be an encouragement to you. And they're like, encouragement to us? You know, maybe bombs are you know, dropping all around us, or we've been expelled. I don't know if I ever get back to my homeland kind of feeling. And he says, let me encourage you in this way. And so we've stepped into this letter in 1 Peter. I want you to know this. If you are a new Christian, there's probably, um, 1 Peter is one of the best places you can go in your Bibles to have sort of a discipleship guide. Because what he's doing here is not talking merely about the life that we've been given in Christ, but how to live that life out. And a lot of times in discipleship, you're like, oh, I jump from this passage to this passage and that passage. Friends, if you just stay with us as we walk through this study, the first Peter letter, all right, is powerful instruction to believers who want to grow in their discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we stepped into this letter and uh, we looked the last couple weeks at really uh, a front part um, of that. And it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. First Peter 1, 3, new birth, a new birth into a living hope. You got that phrase down? Can you say it for me? A new birth into a living hope. Uh, you can do a little bit better than that. Ready? A new birth into a living hope. And you need to let that sort of not just resonate in your mind, but sink deep its roots into your heart. Because this is your identity. You've been given a new life, a new birth into a living hope. And we said last week that the new birth into a living hope is that you've been given a new nature, a new nature to live differently. This isn't just a mulligan or let's do, have a do-over. This is a new life. This is a new life. When you invite Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life, His Holy Spirit comes into your life. You are regenerated. If you were, you were spiritually flatlined, and now you've become alive. You've been born again into a living hope. That's not a wishful thinking. That's a secure hope. We sang about it this morning. He continues to talk about it in this letter. And so we need to pause if we're in the midst of uncertain times, insecure times, discouraging times. Maybe you're in a, in a depressed kind of state with all that's going on around you this morning. With the good news, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that you have a living hope and you have a new nature 
And that new nature brings to you a new disposition, a new appetite, and a new capacity to accomplish things. And so we should never grow dull in this understanding. And that's why Peter brings it to these believers. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this is really great news for you today. That your life can change and you can have a new nature. He's not going to change your personality, but he's going to change, bring you a new disposition to that personality that he gifted you with. He's not going to you know, just radically change all your appetites, but he's going to start giving you some appetites for things you've never had before. Things of God, things that are good, things that are wholesome. He's going to give you the capacity to accomplish and move in those directions, that new nature. A living hope. You were born into it. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, I'm going to walk out of that grave too and into an inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so Peter positions this beautiful, powerful truth up front. And then he begins to unpack this. He begins to unpack <clears throat> the results of this powerful truth, this new disposition. It's a disposition in a nature that even if, even if you don't think it's possible for you, he promises it to you that things can change. And he gives you this even when you're going through suffering and pain and discouragement. It's, it's the hope that the prophets of long ago longed for, and now it's right here with you on this side of Christ's coming. Even the angels we talked about last week, right? They look into this with wonder. Wow, you can, you can have a new living hope. That's incredible. Peter says, yeah. But then he says this, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. Therefore, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. This life, this new living hope, hope begins with an H. Right on the hills of hope that begins with an H is another H word, holiness. Because you've been given this living life, this living hope, then you are to be holy in all you do. Now, at this particular moment, I'm, I'm very mindful that the word holy probably has some different connotations to you. It's like, oh, wow, I don't know if I picked a good day to show up at church. He's, he's going to talk on the subject of that I need to be holy that in all that I do. And we are. We're going to talk about the other H word alongside of hope. And that word is the word holy. Holiness 
And holiness is something that the Scripture speaks about, but a lot of times we um, sort of shy away from knowing what to do holy. I mean, uh, it reminds me of the young three- or four-year-old pastor's kid that was sitting over on one side of the sermon, uh, the service one day during the sermon, and the kid was just fidgety, and he was all up around, and he was causing antics, and the guy was trying to preach away, and he's looking over at his, his young preschooler kid, and he's like, oh, I'm going to have to have a talk with him or something afterward. He gets after service, he pulls him aside, and he says, son, now what was going on there today? And the boy just looked at him and said, dad, it is just so hard to be happy and holy at the same time. <laughs> and when I throw that word holy out, I think that's sort of some of our thinking. I want to be happy. I want to have holy. What's your connotation? What, what comes to your mind when you think about the word holy? John White, uh, he um, wrote, and he must have, I don't know, I think maybe he did a survey of a few people. He says, have you ever gone fishing in a polluted river and hauled down an old shoe, a tea kettle, or a rusty can? I get a similar sort of catch if I cast as bait the word holiness into the murky depths of my mind. And he says this, to my dismay, I come up with these associations. Now listen to these associations. If I said the word holy to you now, what comes to your mind? Like, oh, he's a holy jewel, or, you know, that's a, he's, they're a holy ruler, or maybe they're holier than thou. I mean, we use this word holy. We don't really have a context for the word holy, but we just say, here, be holy, and all you do is we're instructed, if we have a living hope, to be holy or holiness. So what comes to your mind? So he says this. These are things that come up with such associations of holy or holiness. Thinness. Hollowed eye gauntness. Beards. Sandals. Long robes. Stone cells. No sex. No jokes. Hair, sh uh, um, um, hair shirts. Frequent cold baths, fasting, hours of prayer, wild, rocky deserts, getting up at 4 a.m., clean fingernails. Who would say something? Who would say it's in our mind? Stained glass, self-humiliation. What comes to your mind when you hear the word holy? Because I'm here today to tell you what Peter says, reflecting back upon Scripture, referencing all that he's known through Scripture, and it's to be holy. Now, the root meaning of holy is this, sort of just to change your thinking. It means to cut, to sever, or to separate. Now, this is sort of a a cringeworthy, grotesque kind of analogy, and I'm, so, I'm surprised that I'm even getting My wife will say, I can't believe you're doing this. Uh, I do not like blood. But you know those big kitchen knives that do the chopping on the wood block, right? And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've had an accident before. But say that, that this week you're, you're cutting up a bunch of carrots or celeries or some other kinds of items, and all of a sudden, oops, boom, you cut off your finger or your thumb. Ooh. You know, that's cringy. I don't like blood. I don't even like to watch the shows where they have operations or anything like that. But in that moment, if your thumb was chopped off and you held it up, you could say, my thumb is now holy. 
It's cut. It's severed. Or it's separated from that which it's to be a part of. So for all the different kinds of thinking that you have that's in your mind, I want you to go there. The idea of severance being cut apart from, other than. Because it says, but just as you were called, called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, it's going back to some Old Testament passage, be holy because I am holy, God says. You see, God is not a part of creation. He is the creator. He is separated. He is distinct. He is other than that which is created. So God, in his very nature of who he is, is holy. If you reflect back into Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, there's this vision that Isaiah has, and it's around the throne in heaven, and the cherubim and the seraphim, they're, they're, they're in worship. I don't know if they have the banjo or not, but they're in worship, and they're crying out one word. And it, was, it isn't loving, merciful, powerful. You know what the word is that they're crying out around the throne in this vision, and we'll see someday if we're before the Lord? What's the word? What's the word? What's the word? Are you getting tired of saying the word? Because that's what they're doing right now. They're declaring, holy, holy. Someone tries to come up with another word. No, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God almighty. That's who he is. And then he looks at you and I. If we're followers of Jesus and we have the living hope within us and he says, be holy because I am holy. Be separate and distinct. Be separate and distinct. Let me frame it just this way. God calls you to a new life and a different life reflecting the character of a holy God, a holy one. This is the living hope you were born into and the life you are now to grow within. A life so clearly identified with God. It will be distinct, cut off, separated from the prevailing values of this world. You know, we've been caught in a lot of this uh, tragic news about the war over in Ukraine. And uh, my wife, Melissa, last night, she shared with me a picture. I probably should have put it up here. But she saw it posted that there was a picture at one of the airports. Was it in Poland? A railroad station. And there were baby carriages lined up with baby support items. And the picture was just this vacant. And you know why they're there? is because the mothers of Poland realize that these refugees, these people in exile, were carrying their babies, and they had nothing once they got to Poland. And so you could pick up a free stroller. And you see a picture like that, and you go, isn't that incredible? How in the midst of all the evil and the suffering that can come about from mankind, you also see rise up within mankind hearts of generosity and goodness and beauty. And you have to catch it and go, oh, that's, that's different. That's different than all these other values of, of 
power and warmongering and, and uh, occupancy of things and possessions. Here's something different, set apart. And one of my prayers this week continues to be for the Christians in Ukraine. But as all Christians around the world, if you have the living hope, that living hope within you, you are born into a new life, and that new life is a life of holiness, not with you know long beards and a bunch of prayer times in a monastery and clean fingernails and, and you know no jokes, no sex, all that other kind of stuff that would come from some kind. No. Holiness needs to be seen as this beautiful, incredible distinctness, this separateness that the world is attracted to. Wow, look at that. You know, if you see a, a nice Porsche or some type of Lamborghini or something drive past, you go, whoa, that's different. Look at that car, right? Or maybe you see somebody's house, you watch a show and go, wow, that's, that's a different kind of house. You know, we're so enticed by all these things. But could we, could we as believers be enticed by the beauty of holiness living out in our lives? Be ye holy as I am holy, God says. That enticement to something different, distinct. Be holy because I am holy. So I hope if you don't get anything else from today, you walk out of here with a different context, a different understanding of the word holy or holiness. And when you read a passage like this, it doesn't become a burden to you, but it becomes an inspiration to you. It becomes an inspiration to you. When God calls you to a holy life, there are sins, though, that you must leave behind in pursuit of a life patterned after the character of God. Our daughter Grace uh, this weekend is actually at a, uh, a university. She's checking out to go to school, and um, she's in that process of trying to decide. But you know, when you decide to go to college, you have to do something. You have to cut off what you were previously in, high school. So you don't go to college unless you leave high school behind. So also when you're married, you don't become one with your spouse unless you leave father and mother. So this idea of separateness, distinctness, cut off otherness has embedded in the context of it the need for you and I to walk away from things of the former life of a life patterned not after the character of God, but a life patterned by the values and the, the temptations and the pressing agendas of the world. Living hope calls out a life of holiness. I grew up in a domination. Um, well, I grew up in the Alliance, the Alliance as well as like the Wesleyan Church, the Free Methodist Church, um, the Nazarene church, they would all be uh, contextualized as coming out of the holiness movement. And many times that holiness movement had this context of being very conservative, you know, maybe, you know, toe in the line, straitjacket. And I never had this unpacked to me then. It would have been a lot more helpful to know that when the command to be holy as I am holy is not some type of limiting, constricting thing. It's actually a freeing thing. It's actually a freeing thing, one that empowers you 
So don't listen to the lies of Satan that say, oh, no, you don't want to go there. <laughs> that living hope, that's fine. You know, you can sort of just stay the course. So you're a Christian. You're going to be in heaven. That's all good. But, you know, you just keep all your entanglements back here in the old life. Now, you have friends in the old life. You have context in the old life. You've had meaning and purpose. You've done things for the glory of God in that life. But there are some things that you need to cut off and walk away from. And that holiness life is not this life of restriction, as I mentioned, but it's a life of freedom and empowerment. So let's continue. If that is what he wants us to do, to be holy, then, then, then what's on the docket, Carrie? Well, I want to mention two things today. The fight and the future. Paul lists these two very clearly in the next set of uh, words that he's <coughs> mentioned. The first, in 1 Peter 1.13, if we go back to that, because we were just in 1.15, it says, therefore, therefore why? Because of the living hope. Because of the living hope, therefore, prepare your minds for action. There's an action that you need to do if you have New King James or King James Version, and maybe you've heard this phrase before. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. What's that mean? Well, in the old days, the men would wear the, ro the robes and those kinds of things, but if they started to run, you could trip over it. They had to do a lot of work, and so they would grab the robe, and they would gird it and tuck it in so they could be active and accomplish things. Gird up the loins of your mind is what the original context is here. But the NIV states that prepare your minds for action. You're going to engage. So many times holiness is seen as, oh, I guess I just sort of sit around and wait to become holy. Now, as we're going to talk about, your ultimate holiness, your separateness, is the holiness of God, and He dwells within you. But there is an active participation in this idea of being holy, and it begins with your mind. And your mind has to be engaged and begin to start to take initiatives with certain areas, maybe the areas that need to be cut off, maybe other areas that need to be grabbed on. And so he says this, therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self controlled. Hmm. Not really too excited about that word this morning. How about you? Be self-controlled. But that's part of your action with your mind, girding up the loins of your mind, is to be self-controlled. When you have a temptation not to be controlled with your credit card spending, when you have a temptation not to stay clear from certain places on the internet, when you have a temptation to be able uh, to just spew what comes to your mind. I, you know, it was interesting this week, uh, sadly, after I left church last Sunday, uh, my daughter Grace was with me, and we got rear-ended on the 15. You know, and immediately, it's like a, and so it was that bump-and-go kind of thing, and we got rear-ended, and... Uh, Dad said the word, shoot, we just got hit. Oh, we pull over and get the exchange things. It's all going to work out. I just hate the hassle of something like that, don't you? We're driving home, and Grace said to me, that was good you didn't cuss, Dad. 
you got to understand my upbringing. I know a lot of you, especially if you're in the military, you're around a different kind of upbringing than I came up in. And uh, I, there was just not foul language used in our home. In fact, there's certain words that, you know, I, I cringe from, and they're like, well, Dad, why? that's not no cuss word. That's not a vulgar. I know. It's just a little crass to me. I don't, you know, and there's like, so there, there are not cuss words in my mind. Now, there's been a few times, I think when I got hit before, when I went through a parking garage and and my car was too tall for the beam that goes across, says no, that, uh, that I exchanged the two O's for an I in that word. <laughs> I'm just a real guy here. I come from a farm life too, though, so I saw But I told Grace, I said, I, those words aren't really in my head. Oh, that's good, Dad, because she's around them all the time, right? Maybe you're around them all the time, too. Be self-controlled. Maybe it's a credit card spending. Maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, searching into places you shouldn't go. Maybe it's words that you want to say. Maybe it's an addiction, an alcohol addiction, or some other kind. There, there's these things in life that you need to be self-controlled with, and there is an action step that you need to gird up your minds, to get prepared, to be in the game. I am ready. I'm tucked in. I'm good to go when these things come. And it's not that if you fall and you stumble, it's like, well, there you go. God's finger is pointing at you. I always tell people, if you're a new believer and you fall down, it's like a little kid. When a kid's trying to learn to walk and they stumble and fall, you don't say, I can't believe you didn't make it. Get get over here. You know, you say, hey, buddy, get back up. Let's do it, right? He's a loving heavenly father. But in this holiness context, to be separate and different, you need to be self-controlled. But I got a question to you. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit lives in you? Because a lot of times we go, well, I just can't do it. I, I try, I can't get there. I know I need to think better thoughts. I need to, you know, stay away from that. And, and you know, this whole be holy as I am holy, I mean, that was before modern psychology. And Peter just didn't know how the personalities and the context of nature and all that kind of thing works. Well, friends, we're not talking here about the power of positive thinking. You had that before you became a Christian. But when you became a Christian, you gained the living hope, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who has an inheritance that's going to be imperishable for you. And that Lord Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, dwells within you. So my question is, do you believe that the Holy Spirit lives in you? And that's a question you need to wrestle with today. Because if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then you have power. You have power because of that living hope. And so when we have this whole discussion of holiness and be holy as I am holy, friends, this isn't like, well, go at it. Give it your college try. Good luck. No. You're mindful that you've been given this living hope. And you're going to prepare your mind for actions and let the Spirit who lives in you live through you. In that moment. Let the Spirit who lives in you live through you in that moment. As obedient children, then, it says in verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Be a nonconformist. 
here's your chance. Here's your chance to do that radical thing. I'm going to be a nonconformist. I'm not going to conform to the evil desires. Now, notice here, it doesn't say you won't have evil desires. You will have evil desires. It says don't conform to them. Don't bite into them. Reminds of a story of a, a pastor who, a, a, a guy came to know Jesus, got the living hope, right? And he wanted to be baptized, and so they baptized him. And, uh, you know, he was excited for the day. And, man, he was, he, was, he was anticipating the moment. They baptized him. They brought him back up out. And he was filled with joy and exuberance. And he looked at the pastor and he said, wow, man. He says, pastor, now I won't be tempted anymore. And the pastor said, I'm sorry, son, but for that blessing to come, I would have had to hold you under a little bit longer. <laughs> When you're in this life, you will be tempted and you will be bombarded sometimes with evil desires, even every day. To grab a hold of an angry thought. I, holiness does not mean perfection. There's only one perfect one, and we'll find that out later here in this letter as we move on through the weeks. And that perfect one lives in you. And so any righteousness you really ultimately have is his righteousness living in you. But to be holy, as he is holy, means that you will not conform to the evil desires and the enticements that come your way. And sometimes you'll have to take a bold stand in that. Other times it'll be very quiet when you just choose not to yield to that thought of gossip or that thought of, you know, bitterness towards a person. You move into this life of holiness day by day by the Holy One who dwells within you and allow Him to live through you. He carries this thought actually right on in, into chapter 2 if you jumped a few verses ahead. And he says, therefore, rid yourselves. Action, Right? Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Why? So you can look like a religious geek in a holier-than-thou kind of attitude? No. You have a living hope. Why are you stuck back in that? It says in Romans that you have, you have died to sin. And so it says to reckon yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I don't have to salute those sins anymore, whether it's this list or others. I don't have to salute them. I have a new nature. And I have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. So the fight. God calls you to take action against sin in your life to be holy as I am holy. The second thing I want to reference in these verses is the future. If you take verse 13 and then you sort of skip to the 17 part, you read it this way. Set your hope on the grace that was brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work, impartially live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So he's saying, as you are seeking to be holy as I am holy, get your thoughts going towards the future and what will be revealed. 
at Christ's coming and, and when He comes and, and He judges all things and He makes all things that are wrong, He makes them right. Verse 18, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And I appreciated the one song we sang because it was talking about this empty life. And you can pursue all these valuable, good things God's given us life. Marriage, having great children, being able to participate in a job that brings meaning and worth to you. You can even, you know, accumulate some wealth, but it's all in context for the greater glory of God. Because your wife, your children, your job, wealth is not your God. And if you have that as your God right now, fame, pleasure, other things, you will find somewhere through the course of life that they're empty. They're empty. He has rescued you from an empty way of life. Not with cheap, chinsy things, but incredibly valuable things. Gold and silver back on realizing your inheritance when you will see him on the final day that were handed down to you from your ancestors, the empty things, what's handed down to you from God, your heavenly Father, in eternity is so powerfully incredible. Let the future call you to be cut off, distinct, separate from those things of the evil desires. Let it bring clarity to what's apart now. You think about escaping from the war when you watch those images on the news. You go, what would I do? What would I take? Some may never go back and you're like, oh my God, all you had is gone. That's true for all of us. When we pass from this life, it's just gone. As sober reflection, my wife reminded me yesterday that my dad died nine years ago yesterday. That was just a so wow, that'd be nine years. But I'm like, yep, we'll be walking some of those paths someday. The earthly things, empty, but the things of eternity rise up supremely, and it calls me forward to a life of holiness, this future anticipation. And then it says this, that we were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Someone laying down their life for someone else is far more valuable than any monetary thing that person could give. And that's what Jesus did. We're going to have a time of communion here as we close out a little bit, and we're going to remember the work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to remember the blood that was shed for our victory, for our salvation, for the living hope that we have. It's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. But can I go back there a little bit? Since you call on a father who judges ultimately then every person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners or strangers. Some translations have a different as exiles. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, what's that word reverent mean? That means highly respectful. Highly respectful appreciation, but honoring someone 
in a holy position, and that's your Lord Jesus Christ. And a reverent fear is healthy. Not the fear of, oh my goodness, God's going to take a club and beat me for messing up with that evil desire this week. No, you recalibrate, you get back and say, okay, I got this living hope. I'm going to go at this again. I fell down, but I'm going to get up. I'm going to learn how to walk and let this holiness live through me because I'm separate because of what God's done. And I, I know that there's all these other things, enticements around me, but I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I know that before the most holy God, the one who is totally other than all creation, that I should live in reverent fear and honor and worship. So live out your time here as foreigners, because you've got a destiny coming, in reverent fear. And sometimes, sadly, I believe Christians fell miserably with this point. They have made a God in their image. He's just their good buddy. He was their fire insurance from not having to go to hell. And they participate in a Sunday service here or there, or maybe put on a Christian radio station. But there's no sense of awe like the cherubim and the seraphim have where they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Friends, this pastor stays clear. I don't always succeed, but I stay clear from evil desires in a large part because of my holy reverence for God and being in His presence. And if you don't have that sense of holy reverence for the one who purchased you with his shed blood through Jesus Christ, then maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper in that and get some holy awe and reverence going in your life. It will pull you away from those petty, empty enticements and evil desires of the world. So Peter exhorts them strongly. The fight... God calls you to take action against sin in your life. The future, as foreigners here, live with rightful fear of God. Be holy because I am holy. It goes on and says in verse 20 and 21, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, Jesus Christ, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and your hope are in God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to extend our worship into a time of reflection with a beautiful worship song that talks about the living hope. But then during this worship song, we're going to pause and we're going to have a moment of communion to remember that it's through Jesus Christ that we're able to believe in God and to have this new life. The one who was crucified on the cross, whose blood was shed for you and I, but who was also raised from the dead and glorified so that our faith and our hope could be fully in God. As we sing, I want to encourage you grab a hold of your communion cup that you brought in with you. And uh, if you didn't get one, um, you can just sort of raise your hand and maybe some ushers can get the, the communion cups around. But communion is an act of worship. In, in the scriptures, it teaches two sacraments. It teaches the sacrament of baptism, and it teaches the sacrament 
of communion. And the sacrament of communion is a sacrament by which we remember all. We remember all that the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. It was through that work on the cross that we are given this living hope. If you are new to the faith, maybe this seems a little weird to you. It's almost like, man, you talked about severing a thumb with a knife, and now you're talking about drinking blood. (laughs) Weird stuff. It's juice, but it's representative, and it's holy representation. And you can have a moment in this worship time where you meet the holy God of the universe through his spirit. And if you're a believer, his spirit lives within you. Even if you don't feel like you're doing that way, it's not conditional. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's why you're sealed until the day of redemption for you to gain your inheritance. And if you're not a Christian, you could even during this time take the opportunity to say, I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I want to repent and turn from my sin and the evil desire, things that, that have just defined my life, but I'm done with it. And Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. From this day forward, I'll choose to live for you. You can have that simple prayer. You can have that simple prayer during this communion time. There's also the reality that we have a prayer area over here and, and maybe you just want to come and pray and there's some prayer workers and maybe during a worship time such as this, you can just present your need. Or if you have a question and want to pray with someone about having a personal relationship with him, you can. But this is your time as we worship together, as Angela leads us in a beautiful song. You're not going to take communion right now. I want you to reflect on the first couple verses of this song. And then I'll come back up and we will partake of the elements together. But if you're here today and you got the living hope, good news, glad day. You have the power and the ability to lead a life of holiness, separate, beautiful, distinct, incredible unto God. And if you're not a believer, you too can bend your head, bow your head and bend your knee and invite Christ to come into your life. You can have living hope this morning. Angela, Mark, lead us as we reflect during these moments.
through the darkness could imagine what a heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to bear my sin and bear my shame the cross has from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Do you have your bread? Took the bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may partake together. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for your broken body and for your shed blood. And we remember you today until we take this supper with you in our inheritance in eternity. We praise you for being the living hope. Lord, for coming into our life through the power of your spirit to set us apart, not for weirdness, but to set us apart for freedom and give joy and have glory honoring you. We remember you, Jesus. We remember your body that was broken. And Paul continues and says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup. He took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May you take your cup, symbolizing the blood of Jesus Christ, and remember him 
as we partake together. We remember him till he comes because he did walk out of that grave. He was raised from the grave. His resurrection is the power that you and I have within us today. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we continue to sing this song about that incredible declaration, not only of his work on the cross, but his work through the power of the resurrection. it's great to have you today to gather together to worship the Lord, to dig into his word and to respond to him. But this is just our refueling tank. You walk out through those doors into a mission, a mission filled of people that need that living hope. And it may just be a conversation of friendship. Maybe there's a chance you can share about the living hope that's come into your life. But we have a world in desperate need in uncertain times, and we have the unshakable living hope of our Jesus to share. And now when you talk to that person, bring them back next week for free In-N-Out burgers. They'll come for that. How about that? Bring a friend with you. Now may the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you go with you and abide with you as you seek to serve his purposes of bringing living hope to a world in uncertain times and desperate need. God bless.